Today's episode is sponsored by Color Creations. You may still be enjoying fall colors where you live, but eventually the leaves will fall and the temperatures will drop. Winter will come. You could be ready to stay warmer and enjoy winter more if you make your own insulated snow skirt with a pattern from Color Creations. With a snow skirt over your regular clothing, you'll be warmer walking your dog, waiting at the bus or subway, watching your kids play, or maybe even getting out and making a snowman with grandchildren. Visit ColorCreations.com to learn more. That's ColorCreations, C-U-L-L-E-R, Creations.com. Thank you so much, Color Creations. And now, here's the show. episode 132 of the Walshing Apps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today, we're talking about online learning with my guests, Ursula Morgan and Julie Rome. Ursula is the CEO of Creative Bug, the award-winning DIY art and craft instruction site with a thousand plus videos for all skill levels. For $9.95 a month, consumers have an all-access, no-boundaries pass to all their creative interests. In her role as CEO, Ursula grew subscriptions by 533% in her first year, a further 75% in year two, and 60% in year three. Creative Bug, under Ursula's stewardship, was acquired by Joanne Stores in April of 2017. Ursula Morgan, welcome. Hi, lovely to be here. It's so great talking to you. And I also have Julie Rome here. Julie is the founder and now vice president of partnerships and operations at Creative Bug. Before founding Creative Bug, she spent 15 years in the financial services industry where she managed a team of user experience designers to create exceptional customer experiences. Julie Rome, welcome. Hi, welcome, Abby. So happy to be here. Yeah, it's great talking to both of you. So I'm really excited to do kind of a deeper dive into Creative Bug and how the business has grown and shifted over time and sort of where you see it positioned now. So to start off, I thought maybe, Ursula, um, you could just kind of describe Creative Bug today, sort of what the company offers customers, kind of how you sort of give your elevator pitch of what is Creative Bug right now. Yeah, I think um, it's interesting that when Credibug started off, there was nothing like there out there with a subscription, um, a subscription video where you actually subscribed and you got access to all the videos. And I think it's hats off to to Julie and Jan's um, earlier ambition to help people lead a more creative life in every aspect and also feed curiosity. Um, which the curiosity is, um, I might be a knitter or crocheter, but I've always thought I'd pick up a paintbrush, but the barrier to entry is a 40 or a $60 class, um, but I can watch this other class and have a, have a aha moment. So I think the biggest thing that Credit Bug has to offer the consumer is the inspiration and the permission to look at things and say, do you know what, maybe I can do that. Um, And we call them aha moments where you suddenly learn that if you put a brush in a certain way or you moved a needle in a certain way, you created something. 
And the other thing I think the really unique thing about Creativebug is, and I'm looking out at the at, at, at the whole gang, at the whole crew, we call them here, um, is that everybody in Creativebug is totally steeped in what we do. So what we offer the consumer is not just somebody producing something for them that we think they like, it's we're producing things that we're, as tried and tested by everybody here, it kind of just seeps into your pores. Um, so it's not just that commercial offer. What we do say when I have to give a an elevator pitch to an investor who maybe doesn't understand the craft world or understand what it is, I say Creativebug is Netflix for makers, DIYers and crafters. Um, and, and that we're a community of people gathered together both here in the in the office and in the studio with our community, with our artists, and then a community with our members. Okay, great. That sums it up. And, um, and Julie, I'd love to kind of walk backward to talk about how this came about um, and how, you know, you created all of what there is today. So I wondered if you could talk about how you came to found Creative Bug back in 2012, although I'm imagining the story goes back further than that, how you met Jean, um, who was your partner when you began, um, and maybe Kelly Wilkinson as well back then, and sort of came up with this idea initially. Um, yes, of course. So the idea came up about um, eight months before, and my Jean is my cousin. And so she met, we were both working downtown in San Francisco. She met me for lunch. She said, I had this idea. Um, she'd been using lynda.com. If you're familiar with it, it's a technology website where you can learn anything in bite-sized chunks. Um, she was using that for work to learn new skills. I was doing the same actually. And she's like, I want to do this for craft. She's like, I have a minor in ceramics and I don't get to go to classes anymore because I have two little girls and I have artist friends who are doing a great job with education and I want access to that. Um, so we were talking and she's like, what do you think of the idea? I said, I think that sounds terrific. She's like, will you help me? I don't know how to build a business. <laughs> <laughs> so we decided to take a few months to do some research and figure it out, figure out what was there, see what was possible. I was actually about to have a baby. It's my second son. So I said, I give you three months and, you know, in my spare time, I will figure out a business plan and we'll figure out how we're going to make this happen and if it, if it makes sense to do. Um, and so we did that and I ended up not going back to my job and, and jumping in uh, two feet forward with Creative Bug. And we pitched the idea, raised a little bit of seed money, um, put in some money of our own, and we launched in 2012, six months later, with 54 classes. And we've never looked back. And the seed money, the initial round, was that from friends and family or were there investors, outside investors from the start? Friends and family. Okay. Got it. All right. So you launched um, with a, a little over 50 classes in 2012. And so the, the company has really grown since then. Here we are in 2018 and you have over a thousand classes. Um, so that's a, a pretty amazing <laughs> amount of growth. And Ursula, you came on board in 2014. Is that right? 
Yes, I did. It was September 23rd, ingrained in my memory. And you had a background in publishing, um, more like in print publishing. So print and digital publishing, I came from a background of craft, print and digital publishing, and also, believe it or not, gaming. So I published in the US the official Nintendo magazine, the official PlayStation Sony magazine, and the um, the official um, Xbox Microsoft magazine. And But I think what I brought to the what I brought to the party or what Julie enticed me with, what I could bring to the party was definitely um, the subscription knowledge. So actually subscribers. Yeah, we knew we were onto something and we had a lot of loyal crafters joining us, um, but we wanted to take Creative Bug to the next level and get it out there to everyone. And um, as crazy as we were starting Creative Bug, we didn't know a lot about subscriptions or managing subscriptions or growing subscriptions. So we found Ursula to, to help us with all of her expertise. Okay, I see. And is that why you decided to hire a CEO? Because I think, you know, there would be some founders who would say, well, we'll be the CEO, we'll be co-CEOs or one of us will be the CEO and one of us will be the president or something like that. And, you know, what we don't need an outside to hire an outside person to come in and be the CEO, but that is what you chose to do. So you recognize that you didn't know a lot about subscriptions and that was going to be a really key linchpin to making this whole thing grow. And is that, was that the reason for hiring somebody from the outside? Exactly. Exactly. So we knew enough to know what we didn't know. And our goal was to grow as big as possible, as quickly as possible. Um, My cousin and I had our own avenues of strengths and expertise and Ursula filled in the gaps for us. And were there other rounds of funding besides that first seed round? So did you go back and raise more? So we had an initial round of investment from an outside investor. Um, And then we had another round of investment from another outside investor until April of 2017 when we were purchased by Joanne. Okay. So um, what about when, but the company was purchased, like acquired prior to that or, or right, a majority share was bought by Demand Media prior to that. And then there was another acquisition. Is that right? Correct. Yes. So, um, so just prior to me joining, there was a cash investment by Demand Media, and I think that's probably oh, uh, I see. Okay, they funded funded me coming over as well. Um, they'd identified me beforehand. Incidentally, I was coming. My president of the company that I was working with, um, kids were in school with Jeanne, and she said these people have got the subscription business. You should go and give them some advice. And I was just giving them advice at lunchtime. It was nothing more than just helping them out with their business. And Judy gave me a necklace that she made herself from a credit book class, which I believe was a talisman. <laughs> um, and I was so moved and touched, as you know, we all are when somebody makes us a handmade gift. And so I was just advising them. And then when they're um, acquired by Demand Media, I got this call saying, would you come and talk to us? So it was that cash investment, I think, believed that we... Um, that they could bring me on board with and, and expand the team. Okay. Uh, all right. I see. So that's kind of what funded your position, really. Yes. Really. I see. Okay. And then, and then um, we were down in LA. I was splitting my time half between LA with developers down there and half between San Francisco. And then the Chernin Group, which is owned by Peter Chernin, um, 
and they were getting into the subscription video um, on-demand business. Um, and they were looking at all categories, including female. And then they decided they were going to start leaning into the male um, audience, um, particularly anime. So more, more like the gaming audience that I knew as well. Um, and um, and then um, we had a happy home there for a lovely period of time. And then Joanne came along and we found, we call it her happy place because Joanne is the happy place. So um, Joanne became now our our perfect long-term <laughs> wedded uh, husband and wife, I suppose. Okay, uh, right. And that happened um, April last year. April last year, correct. Right. Okay, I see. All right, so that, that makes sense. And I know um, I had just gone back to listen to Ursula, your interview on the Craft Sanity podcast from back yeah. in 2016. Um, and yeah, Craft Sanity is one of my favorite podcasts. So I went back and listened. And um, I know you had said at that time that the company, so this is back in March of 2016, that the company wasn't yet breaking even, that you were sort of going back to investors in order mm. to, to make payroll and that sort of thing yeah. at that time. And uh, so you had 60,000 subscribers at that time with 600 classes. And so I just wondered um, with the Joanne's investment or sort of acquisition, was this sort of, you know, was that part of sort of security, you know, sort of the decision to, to go with that acquisition was part of, you know, a, a promise of future security or were there other reasons or, or sort of how did that Joanne's acquisition come up, come about and what were the, re- what was the reasoning behind it? Uh, so I suppose the, the, the real reasoning was behind it that we were doing um, some partnerships with Joanne, just like we did with other retailers, craft retailers in, in the U.S. And, um, we just saw some synergies immediately and how their audience was behaving and adapting. And we just saw a great opportunity there. Um, the um, roadmap that we had to break even, um, we actually, Julie and I, business partners in crime, we got together and we built a roadmap to break even. And and I love making plans. And we actually broke even um, two months before our plan. So um, we're, we're, um, we we stuck to our plan and stuck to our guns. And it's the real big thing, I believe, in Silicon Valley. It turned around a couple of years ago where people wanted you to break even rather than take big bets and, and put millions into something and 10 things and two might make it big. Um, and incidentally, it, is, it has been an interesting journey that Judy's been on and hats off to her because um, being a female investor, even in a forward-looking place like San Francisco, it's really tough to raise cash and not have somebody, a man, fronting you and, and speaking to a lot of male investors. So I felt with with um, with Joanne, they really got the female angle as well. And with Jill at the helm, they're really understood like females in business. And I think that really, I think we just felt really comfortable together. And is your entire like C-suite women? Um, yeah, uh, we are very diverse. <laughs> we have, um, we have a very, very diverse cultural, um, mix of people, but yes, we're, um, we're, we're, we're women leaderships. Yes. Right. And I think that that really stands out. Um, I know, you know, it may seem like craft is really a, a women's business, but when you get, 
into the upper echelons of most companies. It's run by men, owned by men, um, and that at least in my experience. And so I do think Creative Bug stands out in that way. And I'm sure asking for making the pitch for funding was, you know, it, it's got its its rocky spots when you have an entirely female uh, team. And I really respect the the founders for that. Actually, I really, really do. And as people do say to me who are outside the craft industry, say to me, like, they're always surprised when they come to events and how many um, males there are there. And I'm going, well, it is a craft industry. So it did start off at industries. And I think it's just drifted into very, very um, heavy on on white male echelons up the top. Yes. Um, and so Julie and Jan, they like, they had a vision, they went for it and very brave ladies and totally respect them. Yeah. And the fact that you've been able to maintain that though, over the years, you know, over the ups and the downs um, is really admir- admirable as well. And so let's just talk a little bit more about Joanne. So you said you, this is sort of like your match made in heaven. You feel like this is your long-term home. And you said there were some synergies in the way that like Joanne customers were behaving that you felt like were a good match for Creative Bug. I wondered if you could flesh that out a little bit more and just talk a little bit about you know what role creative bug plays in joanne's business and vice versa and sort of how your you know partnership works now so that is an excellent question and it's something that people ask me all the time the beautiful thing about joanne is that they haven't interfered with the business so for example uh, we still so you mentioned kelly earlier on who was the editorial visionary with jan and, and judy at the beginning and then she passed on the the baton to um to liana all day here and um the joanne do not interfere with any of our ed- editorial content we steer our own ship um they are amazing and wade now who's the interim ceo um understood Creative Bug from the beginning and Jill as well. They said, we will never interfere and we will not Joannify you. We will not interfere with Creative Bug. We love you the way you are. You stay as the as the startup and true to your core. And what what do you so, think? Sorry to interrupt, but what do you think Joannify would mean? Like what what would that well, be? Well I suppose I, I suppose they Joanne is a big corporate and we're very much a a small startup. So I think what they meant was that um, that I suppose it would be possibly one lens could be that they're doing a large promotion on some product and then they would want us to be part of that promotion. Got it. So they're not leading the editorial. So that's what I mean by it. So they are not going, your editorial strategy this year has got to fit in with our retail strategy. I see. We are masters of our own editorial strategy and Liana and the team. We do work with partners that um, are suppliers at um, at Joanne. And sometimes we might do things that dovetail nicely into it, but it's the intention is always for um, Creative Bug to be true, what we know will inspire our subscribers and our audience and our potential audience. So there's nobody at Joanne going, do you know what, we're more experienced than you and we think you should film a class on blah. We say we're filming these classes and we we love them and we don't even have to check in on what our commissioning strategy is for the next year. We just we plow ahead and they totally trust us and they want us to remain creative bug. 
And kudos to Joanne for leaving you alone, I think, because I feel like that could have really been the beginning of the end. You know, I think mm-hmm. what makes Create a Bug special is you have, you know, you've got like the secret sauce and for them, they don't, they should not put their spoon in the pot, you know, so yeah. yeah. What, what our crew likes to say is we're artists filming artists and that keeps us in a really authentic place and, and being authentic draws the Joanne audience to us. Uh, it also draws many od- other audiences to us. And so they, they definitely don't want to interfere with that magic. They want to support it and help us grow and thrive. I want to take a minute now to learn more about our sponsor, Color Creations. In 2010, Debbie Carter was working as a kindergarten teacher's aide and found herself freezing during recess duty. Since she was also working part-time at a quilt shop, she determined to try to make herself an insulated snow skirt, like ones that were popular in the stores in Alaska. After a few tries, she found that she had created a snow skirt pattern. Since then, Debbie has taught the snow skirt class over 30 times to groups of women and a few men along the way. She's also sold over 600 copies of the original pattern and created two additional styles for women as well as one for girls and one for toddlers. Debbie loves helping women build confidence in their sewing skills and create a warm and fun garment that they will enjoy wearing. Many women tell her that they have made snow skirts for their daughters, granddaughters, and friends as well. Look at the pattern on Debbie's website, colorcreations.com. That's C-U-L-L-E-R creations.com. The portfolio has pictures of some skirts created by students in her classes as well. Along with patterns, Debbie sells complete kits if you need help finding the needed fabrics. She also offers a free short course called Snow Skirt Sewing Skills Workshop that should answer some questions about the skills needed to get started. You can sign up for that workshop at colorcreations.com. That's C-U-L-L-E-R creations.com. You really can be warmer and enjoy winter more. Debbie is offering free shipping through the month of November, so definitely go and check out her snow skirt pattern. And now, back to my conversation with Creative Bug. Right. Okay. And so now, with the partnership, are you able, I mean, what does it give you? So does it give you broader distribution? Does it give you access to a segment of, you know, the American consumer that you weren't accessing prior to because maybe they were less web savvy or so does it all give, of the above. Okay. All of the above. And does it, does it give you, uh, I don't know, but better name recognition. I'm just trying to think of sort of what this, how this served you. And then um, for Joanne, like, what does it give them that they didn't have before? I think you'd have to ask Joanne, what it gives them but i think what it gives them is just another opportunity to engage uh, we all believe in that the more people craft and the more people participate um is very important so it encourages participation and not just uptake in new crafters but also encouraging people who are who are crafting already to craft more and make more time for it um i think that's vitally important um and 
for us, um, the biggest thing, the hardest thing, and, and I'm sure you've got loads of listeners out there who are starting up their own business. Um, and I think the hardest thing is, is, is starting with a small business is you're trying to build a brand recognition and brand trust. And the brands that you choose to sit alongside help you bring, build up that brand trust. So can you imagine we're asking people for their credit cards? We have got the most secure, robust um, partner that we work with. And we never even see, we don't see people's full credit card details. It's all PCI compliant. It's locked away in a vault, very well protected. But yet people don't necessarily know that. So to get somebody to give us a continuous subscription, we have to build brand trust. And um, but having been sitting alongside the big brands in the industry, including Joanne, and seeing our logo alongside there definitely builds up that brand trust, I believe. Mm -hmm. Okay, I think that's a really important point for people to to sort of take in and understand from the your perspective of running this business, um, Mm -hmm. sort of what's important about about it. You know, I think maybe it was. For people from the outside looking in when they got the news, they thought, oh my gosh, creative bug and Joanne, wow. You know, but I but I think when you start to talk about like, well, why would this serve you well, you can understand it better. Um, and then for Joanne, they get all of this online learning, which is really not something that they had before. They weren't producing, they were producing YouTube videos, shorter YouTube videos, but not the kind of in-depth, you know, suite of online learning and craft that you have certainly. And it's, it's risk-free learning and inspiration for customers. So they may, you know, have gone into Joanne to buy yarn and are happily making their projects. They notice us, they come to us, check out a video on painting, become mesmerized. And next time they're back in, they're getting more yarn and some paint. Um, so it's really just a nice kind of inspiring cycle. Right. Absolutely. And so I wondered, you know, who you see your competitors as I was thinking that, you know, it was Blueprint, sort of, you know, previously known as Craftsy, um, which then, you know, went to a subscription model. So sort of similar to Creative Bug. But I also think maybe it's Brit & Co, um, kind of more of a, a lifestyle um, but also with, you know, online learning, but certainly got a DIY element to it or, or it's really YouTube and sort of independent creators who either are, are, you know, putting their classes for free as little videos on YouTube or are selling classes, you know, on their own platforms. And I, I just wondered, is it all of those things or how, how are you seeing competition? People come to us and talk to us and they always say, oh, we like, we've done our research. We know your, your main competitor is Craftsy in that blueprint. And I always laugh at them. I'm like, are you serious? Our main competitor is YouTube. <laughs> oh, I think, I think that's definitely true. Yeah. Yeah. So that is, that is, so it's the competitor and the opportunity. So I like to, I'm a very much glass half full lady. Um, so it's, it's basically competitor and opportunity. And we feed that beast as well. Um, we feed that lovely YouTube beast. Um, so um, it's uh, it's very interesting. I, I really we because we're a we're a small crew here and we we don't check out our competitors daily, rightly or wrongly. We don't. We're very much focused on the future and what our future goals are and where, where we're going and where we're taking our classes and our audience and that engagement. And I seriously, we don't get bogged down looking at other people's emails or other people's offerings. And I think that that is very liberating. 
Um, but we definitely, um, everybody knows here in this room that we our quality has got to be second to none and our competitor and our opportunity is YouTube. Mm-hmm. We know that our, our audience in particular are very busy have lots going on and and lots of different ways to spend their time. And so the quality is important that we make it worth their time and make it a special place. And they know when they come to create a bug, they're always going to find great quality education. They're going to succeed with the projects they're doing. They're going to be delighted and learn something new. And so that is, is what we really focus on. Right. And so because it's so highly produced, or it's just, you've got the absolute best voice, the best instructor, um, you know, whatever it might be, or the combination of those things and more that the videos that you're going to get on creative bug are going to be better, um, than you're going to be able to find on YouTube. And that's the bet there, because obviously YouTube is huge and constantly growing and it's growing every day and everything is free. And that's kind of the first place people go when they're like, I need to know how to do, you know, double crochet. And they just go on YouTube and say, put in double crochet and hope to find a video. But of course, what you're going to get is really a mixed bag and it might be good or it might not be good. It, you know, might not, not be well shot. It might not answer your question and it may or may not really be inspiring. But when you have a subscription to creative bug, the feeling is that you're going to get that in a whole, you know, a really good solid, you know, instruction on that, but also a whole lot more inspiration. That's exactly right. Right. Okay. Um, and so, you know, I know, with getting back to Craftsy briefly, because, you know, the two companies sort of came up at the same time um, in the same space with a not super dissimilar mission, certainly very different models and different leadership. Um, But Craftsy was acquired at the same, you know, right around the same, it was like sort of within a few months. um, I felt like Craftsy was acquired by NBC Universal um, right when Creative Bug was being acquired by Joanne. And um, and in that, you know, acquisition, the Craftsy instructors had their, uh, or it was maybe slightly beforehand, but had their um, contracts renegotiated so that um, their, they were being compensated by minutes watched rather than by, you know, a percentage of their a la carte sales because the classes were, you know, prior to the going to a subscription model, the classes were for sale a la carte. And when they went to Minutes Watched, um, from what I can tell from talking to dozens of instructors, their revenue severely dropped off to the point where they were really unhappy. Um, I've covered this in several articles, but people were really, very upset Um, And so I just wondered if you can talk a little bit about sort of the revenue model for Creative Bug and whether that's kind of stayed steady over the course of these various acquisitions and how you feel like your instructor compensation works and, you know, that just addressing that topic. So first, full disclosure, um, we had no idea that the contracts had changed that way with Craftsy and Blueprint, that people were paid per minute. Oh, I'll send you my piece so you can take a look. (laughs) Yes, I'm sorry we didn't keep an eye on that. That's okay. It was a little while back. Yeah. And again, and again, I think that's just part of our ethos here, rightly or wrongly. I try to keep everybody positive and moving in a positive motion here. I tried to keep negativity out of the office completely. We're a very positive, uplifting place to work in. So we didn't wallow in all of that, to be brutally honest. Um, But Joanne didn't make us change any 
contracts with anybody when when they purchased us. Um, their legal department are superb. I mean, even our our NDAs they modified slightly, but like they did nothing heavy handed. They're all mutual NDAs. We're very um, uh, we're very cooperative with partners that we work with. The NDAs cover both of us equally. Um, and I can't really comment on on Craftsy and Blueprint. Uh, disappointed, obviously, because we believe we're artists supporting artists here, and that's really part of our true ethos. Um, and also the other thing, which Judy doesn't really blow a trumpet about, but when Jean and her started Creative Bug, we were giving quite a substantial amount of our revenue, not our profit. So we have to get to above <laughs> above profitability to actually make a profit to to um to art education programs that are underfunded and underserved out there so um i all i can say is that we didn't change anything with joanne um and we compensate our artists fairly and we like to take very very good care of them and we have not asked any of our artists who film with other people what their compensations are there or discuss any of that i like to keep it all very positive and clean whether that's being i don't know idealistic it's just their philosophy and our culture yeah i think a, a philosophy is a, a rising tide lifts all boats and so it's important if we're going to do well our artists need to do well we need to support the community and we're all in this together and through that we've been successful and i think it's the right way to go Okay. And are you able to kind of talk just sort of in broad strokes about how that compensation works for someone who becomes a creative bug instructor, whether there's like an upfront fee or, and then there's, you know, a bonus or, or just sort of how it, how it works overall? So it's, it's pretty similar to that, but just like I didn't know how the artists were being compensated by um, Blueprint, I wouldn't like to be putting it out in the open how we discuss our private um, conversations with our artists, but it's something similar to that. Okay, got it. All right, just so people can kind of understand. Yeah. It's sort of somewhat similar to publishing a book or something like that. Where yeah, you have- I mean, I come, I come from a magazine publishing background and we've been, I've been encouraging artists and gamers and everybody to, to work and earn a very good living from, from what they do. And it's very similar to, to, to books. And Kelly came from a book background, very similar to books and, and, and magazine publishing. Okay, great. And in the process of developing a course, I mean, if you can talk a little bit, um, maybe Julie around how you're selecting uh, instructors, because I know becoming a creative bug instructor is a dream for a lot of people. So if you can sort of talk about what it is that makes you say, I want this individual or a class in this particular topic. Um, and then a little bit about the class development prior to that person arriving at your studios to actually do the filming and, and just kind of the nuts and bolts um, for people who may not be familiar with how it works. Yeah, sure. So essentially, we, we're always on the lookout for trends. We're always on the lookout for what our subscribers are wanting to do. And they're never short of telling us. We just <laughs> scroll through our comments, what people want more of, what people are really enjoying. Um, in between those two things, our editorial is amazing, our editorial team. And they know what's going to be hot they know what's going to be lasting we definitely are looking for classes that are lasting and so these are s skills that can live on for year after year and they don't get dated it's very important to us that people get a real solid strong education 
as far as our process, we work very hard at the beginning. We work, we co-create with the artists what the classes are going to be. We make sure everyone is prepared. We make sure every possible question is thought of in advance and answered and ready to go um, so that we're setting up everyone for success. When we get questions on customer support, it's never about something within the class. Um, what's exciting to us too is that, again, we participate in any questions and comments that happen. So if someone writes in and has an idea or question or thought, they will get an answer from our team or in most often from the artists themselves that created the class. Okay. So I'm just thinking about, you know, punch needle embroidery is really hot right now. And so was that like a trend that you saw and acted on? Is that like an example? Yes. And, and, and if you think sort of, we filmed it um, uh, some time ago, we, we, we tend to, I, I say it's almost like peripheral vision because everybody is so um, immersed in, in a creative culture here. We start seeing things on the peripheral before they come into full focus. And even, I'm going to say this macrame, you call it. You said it right. Yeah. I said it right. I said it right. <laughs> well, I, say, I, I always call it macrame. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm just pleased because they're still trying to educate me how to speak properly <laughs> here. <laughs> uh, we did um, macrame classes long before they were even sort of, we just spotted that on the, on, on the edges of things. So we, we do see things on the edges and as they're bubbling up. The other thing is how we sometimes see the trend or we see something coming up is that um, everybody has permission to play here. So somebody will say, I've got this idea for a class and um, what do you think? And I'll go, oh, my God, are you crazy? I really don't get that. And they'll go, oh, well, we won't do it. And I'm going, no, of course do it. Like play. Let's see if it's going to if it's going to take off or be a thing. So we have permission to play. So, for example, I remember having one editorial meeting and somebody said, OK, we're going to do crocheted rocks. And I'm thinking in my head, crocheted rocks? Like, why would you crochet a rock? <laughs> and then it became a really popular class. And then when I saw it, there's, there's crocheted covering rocks and they're beautiful things. And it became a very popular class. So I think part of it, discovering trends and seeing things, is that everybody has got permission to play. And I always say, nobody's going to die. It's not brain surgery, like play and have fun. And that should actually just be visible in the classes. So and, things. Right. And I'm, you know, I think you've probably over these many years um, tried, I mean, I think that permission to play is important both in content, but also sort of in the business model. And I'm guessing that you've probably tried some things um, when it comes to sort of the business model that worked. Um, like I know that huge increase in subscribers, you had reduced the price of subscriptions mm -hmm. for a period of time. Yeah. Um, it was, it was close to $10 and then it was closer to $5 for a period of time. And, um, and now it sounds, it sounds like it's, it's come back up again. So I'm just wondering if there are some things that you can talk about that you tried that did work and some things that you tried that didn't really work. God, it's, oh my Lord, I feel like I need to lie down on a sofa, Julie. <laughs> We, we move so fast and furious because, I mean, it, the really strange thing is that um, people think that Julie and I are running a craft business. We're not running a craft business. We're running a tech platform. A tech business. Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, people say that to me all the time about Etsy. It's like a craft company. I'm like, absolutely not. No. Etsy is a tech, it's a tech company. Yes. I know, and I'm knocking on wood. Am I knocking on wood? That is, that's not anybody knocking on the door. That's me knocking on wood. The reason why people don't notice that is because that runs smoothly. 
Um, so um, I think we've 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 done playful things with the platform where we've changed things and um, and we don't know whether they're going to work or not. And then we were doing we did a, a big deep dive a few years ago into usability and UX design and everything. And then oh my god, we have this marvelous developer Lee. So people are always we're very creative here. People are always coming up with um, ideas. And the reason why I'm trying to think of failures is because if we fail, we fail fast and we rewind because Lee came up with this thing called a time machine. Well, we call it the time machine. So we could release something on the platform and we will, somebody will say, I have this idea. So it's a bit like even just playing with like, what are we commissioning? I have this idea and we'll go, okay, so um, how much development is it going to take? Can we fake it slightly before we put a lot of investment in the development time? Um, and then can we put it out there? And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, we can rewind to exactly what the platform looked like a day ago, a week ago, a month ago. So um, that's been one of that's probably one of our secret sources. And it's probably why we haven't had that many painful mistakes. I so see. So it allows you to work. it allows you to sort of shift things on the site or tweak things on the site and sort of run them for a while and see how users interact with them. Um, whether it drive sales, et cetera. And if it doesn't seem to be working, you can just take the site back to how it looked a month back. Yeah, but even more nimble than that. So a lot of big tech companies out there, they do A-B testing. So what you're talking is that's like A-B testing. You might throw something up and you might test different parameters. And we do we do, do some of that as well. But this is like really some brave things like changing the navigation or something like that. And just like, oh, and you know, we're not going to A-B test it. That's going to set up two different things. We're going to have to do five days of development, blah, blah, blah. This is like, boom, let's get it up there. See how people react and be fearless. Uh And then, and we know that like, what is the danger? So it's like the crocheted rocks, like what's the danger? What could happen? Um, and, uh, and the danger returns really, really low and people become less risk averse because they know that we can rewind the time machine and we can go back to how the nav looked last week. I see. And there was a period where you were allowing people to download and keep a class, um, yeah. right? Like if they had a monthly, I don't know if, is that the program still going on? Yeah, so we have two subscriptions. We have a subscription called Unlimited, where people get access, full access to everything on the site. And then we have Unlimited Plus for $2 more, so the $9.95 price. Every month you get a token, and you can keep whichever class is your favorite, whichever class you want. You can keep it and then start building a permanent library. Okay, I see. Um, and was there a pressure to do that from consumers or how, why did that change? Because prior to when that launched, I guess maybe a few years ago, it was really just a subscription where you would either be subscribed and get access to everything, or you wouldn't be subscribed and would only get access to sort of the, the previews and that kind of thing. I think it can about with us just experimenting with different things and listening to our customers. And so, um, for example, if someone is is taking a quilting class, it might take them a year and a half to do the quilt, right? Because you're trying to do this in your spare time. Well, people don't want to feel that pressure to be like every month, oh, I needed to have made more progress on that quilt because I'm paying the subscription. If they can save that quilting class as a credit, then they can enjoy multiple classes on the site and know that they can get to the quilt whenever, whenever they want to. I see. Yeah, right. So it works for 
the kind of content that you're producing, it lends itself well to being able to, to for certain classes, being able to have it and not feel the pressure to continue to subscribe. Um, although I guess in some way that maybe undercuts your bottom line by letting somebody off the hook for having to keep their subscription going for that entire year while they're um, finishing their quilt. But it, 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 it does, you know, build a more positive relationship with the customer who's happy to be able to, to own it. Um, so that makes sense. And then you've also really embraced um, Facebook Live. Facebook Live's become, I feel like, a, a pretty big part of Creative Bugs offerings. And you have a space on your site called CBTV um, where they're archived along with some other things. And so I wondered if you could talk a little bit about your Facebook Live strategy and sort of how you, what role you see it playing in the overall sort of Creative Bug, um, you know, ecosystem. Well, Facebook Live is really where we have a lot of fun. <laughs> and so if you think about Creative Bug, we we really, our core classes are evergreen classes. They're deep skills. They're the ability to, to do something today and to come back to it in two years. And it's still a great quality class. You're still going to make an amazing product. In Facebook Live, we can do silly things or fun things or trends, you know, things that we know are, are going to be here today and likely gone tomorrow. Um, it gives us a, a way to gauge the appetite to out there. Like we've done fish prints and <laughs> all kinds of uh, just interesting things that are traditional methods that are a little bit out there or just fun, trendy things. It also gives us an opportunity to showcase our artists a little bit more and their personalities and and kind of have a few interviews when we've got artists in the studio so we just yeah and it showcases the um the crew as well i mean um faith um we have our resident comedian faith who's very very talented knitter um and and lots of other things as well but it kind of just lets us um get across our personalities that we don't always get across when we're and other places. And we we go live every Tuesday and Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So that's four, five, six, seven on the on the East Coast and midnight in Ireland and the UK. And we have we have fans from all over the world who tune in and chime in. And again, it's just a it's just a nice another community feel. And some of our community is not on Facebook. So that's why, and some of them were saying, oh, we miss out on these Facebook lives. And that's why we put them on the CB tab um, that they're uploaded within a few minutes of um, coming off air. And there's the HD version that anybody can look at at any time. And also um, they're usually like quick crafts so people can go in and just do little quick things or have a nose around and just be entertained as well. Right. And it, I guess it's be difficult to know these numbers, but I wondered how many people are sort of introduced to Creative Bug that way and then convert and become paying subscribers. I don't know if you have a sense of that, I guess. Yeah, it's 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 really hard to quantify. And I sometimes ask the team, like, like we're doing two extra crafts a week and like, how do you quantify that? We just um, know that that audience is engaged. You, we can go into GA and see what comes from Facebook, but you don't really know really whether it's coming from the Facebook Live or whether it's coming from our Facebook posts or anything like that. Facebook doesn't really share that much. Um, Facebook is obviously something that's still a good acquisition source for us. Um, and then sometimes in the comments, though, we'll we'll see people saying, oh, I've never heard of Credit Bug before. This is the first time I'm going to check out 
going to check it out. And we usually have an offer on the sidebar in the comments and people will click on that. But we, again, that's just a general Facebook bucket. Um, and we don't know whether it's, sometimes our directs might pop a little bit after a great Facebook Live, but it's very hard to quantify, to be honest, as everybody in marketing will will attest. And what about your YouTube strategy? Because I follow Creative Bugs. I subscribe to Creative Bugs YouTube um, channel and you do post, um, content there. Some of it is quick crafts that are free content. Um, and then some of it is kind of like, you know, teasers for the new classes that are coming up for the, ne- the next month and that kind of thing. Um, and there's, there's a lot of good content actually on your YouTube channel. So I wondered if you could talk about your YouTube strategy. So we leaned in heavily to YouTube mm, three years ago. Um, and we put a lot of content up there and we weren't seeing, we're seeing that YouTube, the YouTube family were very much staying within YouTube and not really leaving. Um, and then um, we pulled back a little, fed it a little bit, but you can't, we're a small team. You can't be, you can't be doing a lot of work on Facebook video and then YouTube video and all of that. So we decided we'd double down on Facebook. And then just recently we've seen some more traction with YouTube. So we started getting more involved with YouTube. Now people seem to be coming over from there. Um, so again, I think it's just a brand play there. We were very conscious. We do have some of our longer classes on YouTube, um, and they're, they're very popular. We didn't want to just have a, a smattering of free classes on YouTube, um, because, um, I think that would, um, not give people the full experience. So for example, our most popular class on YouTube is Deborah Kryling from Simplicity, How to Sew a Skirt. Um, we've got part one and two, but all of part on Creative Bow, but all of part one is on YouTube. And that continues to be a very, very popular class. So there's certain classes that we have there that we know we want people to say, like, this is quality. This is what quality video looks like. Right. And so, right. And you, as you were saying, in order to compete with YouTube, um, quality is really what you feel like is going to be the differentiator. So showing that quality on YouTube as a way to convert is probably a smart move. And then you also have business classes that are for artists, um, and so that's, you know, an, a kind of, a, an extension, you know, cause most of the classes on creative bug are DIY how to, um, for actual crafts, but then to have the other classes around how to build a business in craft or as an artist is sort of, um, an addition to that. And you've done quite a few, um, series of those classes. So I wondered if you could talk about, about the thinking behind adding those. Sure. What we found with those is, you know, we try to really listen and tune into our subscribers, into our artists um, who are also, you know, using our site uh, for other classes and learning other things. And we've just seen a, a, a group of folks, you know, clearly are getting excited about their skills, wanting to do more. And so we had the opportunity to work with some really talented folks that are not only talented artists, but also have these skill sets. Like Lisa Solomon teaches a course, um, the design school, and she's got an amazing wealth of information and she's willing to share it with our subscribers. So part of that being just a little bit of a test and part of that hearing what people are asking for, a little bit of a test, but we've had an overwhelming response to people want to have the opportunity to consider taking things to the next level. So what we really discovered is, is that people are are beginning to find their own talents and we want to really encourage people to, uh, to have their, grow their own businesses, just like Julie did. 
um, and have an interest and a passion and, and make money from it. Um, and also avoid any pitfalls, as you said, like what mistakes have you made? Like this is this is sort of the playbook of artists who have created who have created great um, businesses of their own. So everything we've got um, a creative brand series, which is literally um, when I when I read the PDF because I read the business PDF, it's um, almost 100 pages of a download. It was like the masters of business that I did in London. It was incredible, the detail. Um, but this wasn't a master business. It was literally people talking about their experiences and how they created a brand, how they approached licensing, how they employed people, how what were the pitfalls. And even right down to because Credibug is raw and honest, how do you do your work-life balance? So that was amazing. And then this year, then we had some, we've done some additional filming to build on that class series. Um, and um, we've had some fantastic artists come in and we've got more releases to come. So we're, people are enjoying that. And somebody just might have that little seed in their head. It's like, I might like to knit. They have a little seed in their head. I might I'd start my own business and hopefully we can help people create more lovely things in the world and, and make money from it. And about how many new classes get released in a month? Um, typically so it is uh we do um one daily challenge a day we do we do two cb um lives which is two two facebook lives and then uh, and a week and then we do a long one long class a week as well Okay. So we Got produce it. a lot of content. You do produce a lot of content for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just and, give, yeah. And and just I mean, out there, if anybody's listening to this, um, our biggest challenge, and if anybody's got any ideas, is that I sometimes feel we produce producing great content, all beautiful. And then we keep trying to figure out ways. How do we surface some of the content that we're pushing down on Instagram almost like we're not Instagram, but like it feels like that. So that's a constant thing is resurfacing sharing things that might be in common with other classes and while still getting people excited about the new ones but we've seen such a massive long tail in our content um that's a subscription video on demand content um term where people are still watching some of our original classes um and really enjoying them and getting really good viewership for them but it's always a constant thing how do you keep producing more putting more in and yet still getting people excited right i totally understand what you're saying because there's just so much of it and some of it just sort of sinks to the bottom but mm. even though it's evergreen and it just needs to be resurfaced in some way and i, yeah. I have that same struggle with my blog <laughs> so on a very tiny scale but i understand what you're saying in that there's posts back here from years back that are still really great yeah but how do you get them seen again is it you know around creating new graphics for them creating a, yes. a new promo for them or you know sending them out to somebody who's an influencer to have them repost it or, you know, so how do you sort of bring more attention back? Um, and I think anyone who runs an online business can relate to that struggle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. absolutely. And so um, just getting to sort of the other things that really seem to have worked around this daily practice um, sorts of videos where you're sending, I guess, a, a prompt every day. Um, is that how these work? And and what do, why do you think that these are so sort of attractive and inspirational to your audience? Well, we try and do practices here ourselves. Um, um, so I mentioned Faith earlier on. She did a, we started doing like these 100 day practices here in the office. And so Faith did, 
Faith did um, little, um, tiny little magazines. Julie, what are they called? Zines. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, I think Brian, one of our videographers, did a video a day. And we started just doing all these little things a day. So I think, again, it was just something that we organically just morphed into and just that we want to share with the world. Okay. And um, have you found that they, because it seems like there's a fair number of them now, um, they they perform well or they're something that your audience responds well to? I think it's it's just part of our portfolio now. I think it's just part of our, our, our rhythm. Um, uh-huh. People come to us with ideas and we have ideas ourselves. So it's, uh, I think it's just as simple as that. Okay. And if there are people who are listening who have an idea for a class, is that something that you're open to pitches about or are you really not open to that? And are you sort of more on the, you know, we'll, we'll choose you if we're ready kind of situation? It's quite organic. Yeah. We're definitely always open to hearing from folks, always open to pitches. Um, Every single thing we get gets forwarded to our editorial team. And I think it just, it is organic. It depends on what we have on our radar, what we have on our calendar, when the timing is right. But we do yeah. take a look at we do take a look at everything. And I mean, I, I get emails from people and really, really times people. And also I'll meet people and they'll go, oh my God, yeah, I've got, I know this artist friend, they're so talented. And the one thing that we say is, we have artists on the site who teach classes. So we always have artists who have actually taught a class in person because what if you've taught a class in person, say there's 10 people in the room and you're teaching them and you tell them to move a pen in a certain direction, um, doing some lettering, and you see that four people in the room are going the other direction, you know that in the class we're doing the instruction, you can say, well, actually, you're going to want some some of you might, might think to move your pen this way. But if you move this way, you get a better result. So um, what we all might the sort of the, the, the gate has to our quality is we encourage people if they have great ideas to go out, teach some friends in person, teach some other people in person, observe what they're doing with your instruction and then and then come back. Yeah, no, I would agree with you 100%, especially as a a former classroom teacher myself. There is nothing better than the actual experience of teaching because unexpected things happen in the classroom Mm -hmm. that you couldn't anticipate. But once you realize them, you see how learners behave. And so it it really is important to get that in-person experience, especially when you're teaching an online class where really you're just in front of the camera, not getting, (laughs) not getting feedback um, from anybody, you know, around, oh, I'm confused. Or what did you say? What does that mean? Et cetera. Mm -hmm. So that's really important. Um, Okay. And are there any big, big topics about creative bug that we didn't get to before we get to your recommendations? Is there any, any, Anything, you know, cool and interesting I failed to ask that I should have asked. Oh, I'm just I'm just looking outside. So we, we have an open plan office, but we've got a little glass room at the back with the machine room we're in now. And I'm just looking. We've got Camper the dog running around. Um, <laughs> Faith Hale Armness. That must be a Facebook Live coming up soon. She's armnitting. Um, it's just um, I just think that if anything, just trying to share this culture um, with as many people out there uh, that we are what we what we say we are um, is um, probably the essence of creative bug. If people take one thing away, it is that. Right. And I think that's especially important now after the acquisition from Joanne for people to hear that message. So Mm -hmm. um, I think that's really great. 
Um, and kudos to you all for preserving that through thick and thin, um, because I think uh, we need more like this, in my opinion. So um, so that's wonderful to hear. And so we are going to get to your recommendations because you both have um, some good ones. And Julie, we are going to start with you. And you wanted to recommend the Koi coloring brushes. Sounds like you're doing some like hand lettering with them. Yeah, so my, I have two boys. They haven't always been interested in craft, but all of a sudden they're interested in doing some daily practices together. So one voted for lettering. Um, and so I've got a bunch of the, the Koi watercolor markers, which have been so fun to make all kinds of letters, especially for, for little hands. Um, they can do lots of fun things with those. Uh, we're really enjoying that. Um, we're going through both um, Pam Garrison's and also going through the Sakura ones with Michaela. Um, just having a great time and we're not necessarily always sticking to each prompt, but doing our own thing, which is, I think, empowering, encouraging to them too. And um, Ursula, you are knitting a hoodie cardigan for Creative Bug's first baby. Is it really the first baby? I was corrected yesterday by Julie. So Julie did have the first Creative Bug baby because okay. she's been pregnant. Um, but I think so when did when when did you launch Credibug and when was your little chap born? Like, what's the correlation between Jamie and Credibug? So we started talking about uh, Credibug shortly when I was eight and a half months pregnant, um, and then I gave my cousin my maternity leave to figure out the business plan. Um, and shortly after that, we we started our business, and he was about nine months old when we went live. Ah, okay. So, so I would say our first credit book baby was Jamie, but our first credit book baby being live, I suppose, <laughs> is um, Ali, our marketing lady. Um, she um, she uh, had a lovely little boy, and uh, the uh, so you might hear by my accent, I um, I'm not American, and we had a baby shower here, and everybody was giving gifts, and in, in Europe. Back in my day, we didn't we didn't give the gifts till after the baby was born. So she she picked up a um, she picked up lots of little knitted gifts and everything at the baby shower here. And then she picked out a pattern that she wanted me to um, do for a little boy for when he's one. So I have a little bit of time, but I'm nearly finished. Um, but I think the class that I have to um, to say is that my mother, I'm Irish, and my mother knitted Aaron jumpers. And she um, tried to get me knitting Aaron jumpers. And I don't know if you know Aaron jumpers. They're sweaters. Oh, my Lord. You see, I'm not speaking American. Um, they're sweaters with like a Celtic twist on them. And they're a little bit in trend right now. So she wanted um, something with a with a little bit of a, a, um, a cable on there. And... Um, I have to say that my mother taught me for years. Um, my mom tried to get me to to cable and we ended up losing patience with each other because I'd get frustrated, she'd get frustrated. And I started doing the, um, we have a, a work along cable um, class with Credibug and it's creating an Afghan and it's Edie Ekman. And Edie Ekman, we did a cable net throw and it's a block a week. <laughs> And I did this block every week. And even though how frustrated I got with Edie, she kept her calm voice and she taught me how to cable. So I'm a, I'm a cabler. So now this first pullover that I'm doing, a uh, jumper hooded, hoodie that I'm doing for this um, 
Critterbug's second baby has got some cabling on it. Um, and good. Uh, and, and anybody who's been afraid of cabling, do Edie's, Edie Ekman's class in Critterbug. And it's, it turns into a lovely Afghan and it's great. Awesome. And Julie, you wanted to recommend your mom's um, dressmaking shears and you're making some Halloween costumes. Yeah. So uh, my voice got inspired. My older son wants to be a lumberjack. And <laughs> so um, very excited to be able to use my mom's scissors when my mom was um, a sewist. And she made all my clothes growing up. We didn't have any money for her to do otherwise. Um, so she would make, you know, my entire clothing when I was younger, all my prom dresses, everything. So she passed away many years ago. So it was very exciting to be able to pull out the scissors that I've dragged with me around the country um, and to be able to help my son make his lumberjack beard. Yeah, that makes sense. I can yeah. understand why you're making a beard at the sewing machine the other day. <laughs> now I get it. I That's know. awesome. That's so, so nice. So, um, so Ursula and Julie, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Walshy Naps podcast. I really enjoyed talking to both of you. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. We had a blast just sitting here and chatting with you. I'm reminiscing. reminiscing. (laughs) We move so fast. We don't get a lot of time to do that. So thank you for that opportunity. Absolutely. And you've been listening to the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Visit my blog, walshynaps.com, where you can sign up for my email newsletter to get the best in sewing, blogging, and small business delivered right to your inbox each week. Today's episode was sponsored by Color Creations, home of the snow skirt. There are three styles of adult snow skirts, one for young girls and a snow jumper for toddlers. Take a look at the options at colorcreations.com. That's C-U-L-L-E-R creations.com. If you have questions about the supplies, you can sign up for a free supply list and online vendors who sell those specialty products. Debbie also sells complete kits with everything included from fabrics and pattern to zippers and matching thread. There are many colors of ripstop fabrics and trims to choose from, so your snow skirt can be as warm and as unique as you are. Thank you so much, Color Creations. And thank you so much, and I will see you next time.